Well, greetings, folks. I bring you greetings from uh, Haddon Church of Christ, where uh, I'm the senior pastor, and uh, we had um, just finished a series of ten messages on spiritual warfare. So it's, uh, it was a, it was a wonderful time together and learning how to um, how to download how to download the the weapons that God has given us to defeat Satan in our life. And um, pretty heavy series, went for you know 10 or 11 weeks. And uh, I, I set it up so that I would have four weeks out of the pulpit and uh, there's other people involved and, and, and Josh called and said, Dad, he said, um, we started a new series on Romans. I was hooked straight away. And he said, do you have a free date? And uh, today was it, so this is supposed to be like a no pulpit rest day for me, but I couldn't resist, Um, I couldn't resist because I love to preach on Romans, and I couldn't resist because I love to come here and preach to you. Um, It's nice to see some uh, old faces, (laughs) and it was wonderful to be greeted by one of your former elders who uh, uh, informed me that I did look very aged compared to the last time he'd uh, he'd seen me. So, brother Minahan, I'll have a cup of tea with you later. <laughs> it's wonderful to be in the family, isn't it, folks? Just a wonderful thing. I don't understand somebody coming to church looking like they've just sucked a fresh lemon. I don't get that. Where's the joy? You know, I choose to be joyful. We all should simply just, the devil comes banging away at you. No, sir, not you. I choose to be joyful. I've got, I got this horrible uh, problem for you to do. Yeah, I know. That's an, I'll deal with it, but I choose to be joyful. Amen. And when we get into the book of Romans and we start reading in the book of Romans and studying the book of Romans, there's a lot of reasons to be joyful. <clears throat> but I want to tell you about this book of Romans. It's just chapter two. I said to Josh, where do you want to plug me in? And he said, chapter 2. I said, yes, chapter 2, thinking he was going to say 1 to 6 or something. He said, chapter 2. Josh, there's 29 verses in chapter 2. <laughs> Crikey. I said, okay, here's what we'll do. And I, I hope you ladies got the message. I said, we'll, we'll do 1 to 6, break for lunch, and come back after lunch and we'll try to get finished with, uh, with, with, with 7 to 29 um, in time for your evening service. <laughs> Is that all right, brother? <laughs> well, doesn't look like it. looks like the ladies are looking a bit blank at me, mate. I don't think there's any food. <laughs> we have a Border Collie dog. Small, on the small side, Border Collie dog. She's uh, evolved into a social engineer of sorts. Uh, pretty much runs the house. <clears throat> but she's been engaging in nefarious behaviour um, of late, I, uh, <clears throat> of which I've copped the blame, the initial blame. Robin made 20 beautiful fluffy white scones to take to church and they were, they were cooling on the, on the bench. I was in my study trying to keep out of her way, and I mean preparing a message, and um, she walked into my study and she said, there were 20 scones on the bench. There are now eight. <laughs> what, you think I ate 12 scones? <laughs> you know, Rocky, my name isn't Josh, you know. 
<laughs> so um, <clears throat> we quickly realised who the culprit probably was. And so we conducted a, um, you know, an investigation of kinds. And it didn't take long to realise that uh, she had all these crumbs around her mouth, you know, and we knew who the, knew who the culprit was. So I sat her down and I read Romans 2 to her. No repentance. No repentance at all. So during the week, I was innocently going about my business. My wife came in and she said, did you eat that grated cheese I put on the bench? Now, now who eats a big pile of grated cheese? The thing was that, of course, I... You know, I said, of course I didn't eat the grated cheese. And I didn't. Well, not all of it anyway. The thing I, the thing that I never let on to Robin was, you know, if, a, if there's a big pile of grated cheese like this, you know, if you pull a bit out of the top, you can sort of rearrange it so that nobody knows, which I had done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ate the, ate the cheese. And of course I felt really guilty and, and stuff, and I was about to confess, and she said, it's all been eaten. So oh, I can blame the dog. So uh, we got the dog and sat her down, and we read Romans 2 to her, and uh, instructed her about Greek verbs and, you know, the aorist tense and the present participles, and she's a full book on Romans 2, but still there's no repentance. <clears throat> she's a good picture of what Romans 2 actually teaches us and uh, we'll get into it now Father we love you Lord we just flat out love you and it's just wonderful to be here amongst the family of God people who love the word of God and people who love to worship you And Father we pray today as, <clears throat> as we look into this wonderful book and Lord the complex beautifully complex writings of the Apostle Paul and we pray that you would teach us. Pray Father that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and Father that you would cause me to be able to express the intent and the meaning of these of this scripture that we can grasp it and Father as we as we come to the end of, 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 of our time together today I pray, Father, that every soul in this building will have embraced, Lord, the richness, the unbelievable richness of our salvation. So we commit ourselves to you today. Teach us, instruct us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' beautiful name, Lord. Amen. In the, um, in the uh, uh, Gospels and throughout most of the epistles, we find this Greek word soteria, S-O-T-E-R-I-A. It's not a difficult word, soteria. Anybody can say it. Um, and soteria is where we get our word soteriology from or the study of salvation. So soteriology is the study of salvation. There's another Greek word called hamartia, and that's not too hard to say either. And the word harmatia means sin. <clears throat> and it's, and, and harmatiology is the study of sin. Romans 1 
all the way through to Romans 11 is Paul at his rabbinical best building the case for the Christian doctrine of sin and deliverance through salvation. Amen? Sin is the problem. The blood of the shed blood of Jesus Christ is the cure and salvation leads us into that wonderful place of expressed joy knowing that when you take your last breath you will open your eyes into something I haven't got any possible way of explaining to you because the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ if you took every superlative adjective from every language across the world and you piled them all together friends a half would not be told I can't even begin to explain what it must be like to close your eyes in this sin-wrecked world and open them staring into the face of the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of our Saviour. You know, it's worth meditating on. I like to get up and I've told our people that up at Haddon, <coughs> worship him, constantly worship him. Get up in the morning and the first thing you can say is, good morning, Father, thank you for letting me get a good night of sleep. <coughs> Now, where's that coffee pot? <laughs> Get yourself a cup of coffee. <clears throat> I like to sit in the pre-morning dark and stare out across the valley, of the Yarrowee Valley in Ballarat at the lights and just spend some time with Father. It's, it's, it's a beautiful time of day. <clears throat> it just sets the balance right because the world wants to crowd in, you know, what, what I didn't realise is the worst thing can happen to a pastor is for people to be able to send text messages because they will. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not uncommon to have four by seven o'clock on Monday morning. Um, you know, uh, they think it's a disaster, but it really isn't. And it could have waited till the sun rose. <laughs> but that's how it is. <clears throat> and to spend that time alone with Father and to... To know that I don't have to beg him. I don't have to beg him and try to cajole him to be with me. You know what's the dumbest prayer in the world? Father, please be with us today. That's stupid. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you walked in here today, you brought him with you. When you walked in here today, he was waiting. And he's here and he longs for you. You know, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, he sings over you. And he, with, with, he sings over you, prays over you, he, th- he sings over you and he, and he dances over you and he looks and he sees, look at that Josh with that awful beard, he's waking up, he's, oh, there he's awake, oh, praise God, he loves it. He loves you. You know, when we say Jesus loves you, it's the most profound thing we can say. 
Jesus loves you. You wake up in the morning. Good morning, Father. And his face shines. He loves you that much. And he sends us a message here in this book of Romans. Romans, we don't know who wrote Romans. Uh, We know who wrote it, Paul. We don't know who started the Roman church. But it got started and Paul had never been there. He was intending to go there. I don't think his intention was to go the way he finally went, but he, but he, he eventually got there. And um, he was in Corinth, horrified probably by what he was seeing, and he wrote to the Roman church. I want you to understand the demographics of the Roman area. It was, it was a Greco-Roman culture, and it ranged from the utterly disgusting to the highest level of culture of the time. And it's such an important thing to understand that, that it ranged from the utterly disgusting, the the depravity would make you vomit if you read about it, all the way through to the highest standard of, of, of culture known to man at that point in time. And these people who engaged in this were lost. And these people were lost. And Paul brings the whole of chapter 2 to give us that explanation. We can go home now. We've covered it. No, we haven't. Don't you dare. Let's look at these first verses in Romans chapter 2. He says, uh, therefore, any time you see that, you need to look back and say, why is that there? Therefore, because of what? Well, because of all that Josh and Raf taught to you. By the way, I listened to those sermons on, on, online, and I now know that Josh listens to my sermons online because he's still using my illustrations. Uh, <coughs> so, <laughs> he's denying it. Yeah, I thought he might. <coughs> So why is that there? Therefore, why is that word there? It's because of all that's gone before. Paul has built up this this argument based around what's called general revelation. General revelation is is the creation witnessing against the sin of man. That's a, that's general revelation. And now Paul comes to, to chapter two, and now he turns to special revelation. Okay, targeted spe- uh, revelation. Okay, so that's the two things there. And and here's what he says, therefore, because of what's gone before, because of your because of the ignorance um of the of the general revelation that God has given, therefore thou art inexcusable, he says. You're inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judgest. <clears throat> now that phrase, whosoever thou art, deals with the crowd claiming moral superiority this is the mob with their long robes and their beards and their phylacteries and their <clears throat> and their long prayers in the, in the chapel and all the rest of it that's who he's talking about this is this moral superior crowd he says you are he's already dealt with it with a depraved disgusting people and now he's dealing with with the, with, the, with the morally deprived but culturally superior people. 
people who wouldn't think about engaging in this stuff. And he says, Whosoever thou art that judgest, sitting in on judgment on the sin of these people, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge, doest the same things. But we are sure, I I love that word sure, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. God's truth is absolute. And it it, it doesn't change. You know what's, what's, what's irritating is over the course of years, the church has sort of moved behind the world like this, but God's truth has never changed. It's not about to change and it never will change. Sin remains sin. I got a thing in the mail recently encouraging us as preachers to stop using the word sin because it offends people. It offends God. Amen? You can say amen to that. Sin is offensive to Almighty God and they want us to stop using the word sin. Recently, two weeks ago, a young lady came and she sat on the, on the, on, on, in our church and she sat there and she was transfixed on the preaching uh, gospel message <clears throat> and which I called out sin. And she has sat in, in churches for years and not heard that and not heard what her responsibility is before God. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, she said, Pastor Neil, I'm terrified. I said, if I was unsaved, I'd be terrified. You've got reason to be terrified. And, and she said, I, 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 I have no security at all. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, well, you know what the beauty of that is? It's fixable. And I had the privilege to sit with that young woman and explain to her the gospel of Christ. And she had no trouble accepting that she's a sinner. But you know what brought about her transformation from darkness to light? It wasn't telling her what a wonderful person is and isn't Jesus, isn't isn't it all lovely to be together and be all very inclusive. She reached that conclusion because she heard the truth of the gospel preached to her and she heard from the Bible that she's a sinner. It's old-fashioned. It is old-fashioned, and so is air. Try living without it. You'll be dead real quick. I like the old-fashioned gospel. Amen? Now, Brother Lee, I'm old. Thank you for drawing attention to that. (laughs) Yes, sir. The judgment of God... You see, I wear hearing aids and I'm not, I haven't got them on right now and somebody made a wise crack that you all laughed at. Now I need to know who said that and what was said later. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be asking God to, to give me some uh, revelation about who it was who said that. <laughs> and we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. God doesn't judge people according to the world's standards. He judges people according to his truth and it will always be his truth. My, my brother, who after 36 years in the wilderness came back to a walk with Christ and begun preaching again. And he went to see his neighbour who was dying of cancer. 
And he sat with him days before he's, he, he, he has to give an account of himself. And he said, mate, let me explain this to you. And he shared with him the gospel of Jesus. And he said, would you like to receive Christ as your saviour? He said, no, thank you. I'll take my chances. One day, friends, one day, that man will stand before a holy God who judges according to truth and he will have nothing to say. And it's very sad and it upset my brother to no end. And I've had that same experience in the hospital at Ballarat where I've told people the gospel, invited them to come to Christ. And I said, no, I'll be fine. No, no, you won't be fine. As simple as that. Nothing's changed since the days of Christ, people. You either come to a living saviour and you confess your sin and you receive Jesus Christ as your saviour or you stand on your own and standing on your own is a decision to send you to hell when you die. Hell hasn't gone away in the last 25 years. It's never going to go away. Somebody in Ballarat said to me, I can't believe in a God. I don't want to believe in a God who would send somebody to hell. I don't believe God sends people to hell. I said, I don't either. You send yourself. God has made the way for you to escape it. He's made the way for you to go to heaven. And you choose not to because you want to do it your way. And your way stinks. Only God's way will get you there. Amen? I know you love the word, you folks. You're allowed to talk. You're allowed to talk back to me, okay? I've got a bunch of kids in my church and they, they at least they smile at me, you know, especially when I sing to them. You know? If you've ever heard me sing, you don't know why, know why, they're, why they're smiling. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joining you guys up here later. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and then he says, and, and in verse 3, he says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them, which do such things, and doest the same as thou shalt escape the judgment of God? No, sir, you will not. On the authority of the word of God, no, you will not. <clears throat> I uh, ministered to an old lady in Ballarat, a beautiful old lady in Ballarat, who loved Christ. She just flat out was in love with him. And it was, a, it was, it was so wonderful to be at her house. And she sort of went like this and got to the place, you know. <clears throat> and I was there with her on that last day. And I was sitting there, but watched her, looking, she was out, out of it. She opened her eyes and did one of those. And after a few seconds, she said, well, are you just going to sit there or are you going to share something from the word of God with me? <laughs> it's amazing <clears throat> so I uh, I did and uh, I said to her nan everyone called her nan I said enough's enough you want me to ask Jesus to come now to usher you into glory she said I said good I put my arm underneath her I kissed her on the forehead and I said and I prayed for her <clears throat> and I asked Jesus Come and take her to glory. And he did. 
and I conducted her funeral. And we went to the grave, out to the cemetery. A dirty big hole in the ground and a box sitting over it. <clears throat> and as a minister of the gospel, conducting the funeral of a lady who was deeply in love with Jesus for many, many years. I stood over that thing and I said, you know what? It just struck me when I got there. I said, that grave has lost its power. Amen? That grave has no victory because its victory has been swallowed up and it's been swallowed up in Jesus. Amen. This woman, all that is right there is her earth suit. It's nothing. And I said, I tell you what, don't stand on top of that grave when the rapture comes because you'll get knocked flying. But she's going to come roaring out of that grave when the rapture comes and she's going to be in heaven. Her body's going to be resurrected right now. You know what? She is in glory And I'm pretty sure she's saying, Lord, you know how incompetent Neil is as a preacher. Please give him strength today. Amen. I'm okay with that. She's prayed for me a lot. And, uh, but I need, I need to be prayed for a lot. I once made the mistake of telling her I need the prayers and you need the practice. And that wasn't a smart move to tell someone who just prays all the time. What an amazing story. What a beautiful feeling to have a whole swag of people there. Some people who are born again and some people who are not and be able to stand there. If you think about this, it is so incredibly preposterous to stand there when there's a coffin lowered into a grave and to stand there and to point into that hole and say, you have no power because Jesus robbed you and he paid the price and there is no penalty anymore. Amen. What a saviour we have. But you know what, friends? The reason we even needed a saviour is because of what is right here in Romans chapter 2. We are all under the curse of sin. Every last one of you is under the curse of sin. I'm under the curse of sin. And Paul writes to these people and he says, do you despise the riches of his goodness? And do you despise his forbearance and his long suffering? Don't you know that the goodness of God, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Yesterday, I went to visit a guy in the jail up in Ararat and I took one of our church members with me, a single woman and she's 50 or something and she said when I was a child when I was a teenager I went to a Church of Christ youth rally in in Bayswater and an invitation was given and God had touched my heart and she said I I, I went forward to receive Christ as my saviour I was 16 years old and my mother was out the back you know making scones or whatever um, and she saw me and she came in and she said, what are you doing? She said, I've come forward. She said, I want, I'm waiting to speak to the pastor. I want to, I want to give my life to Christ. She said, don't be so silly. 
You don't want to engage in rubbish like that. She said, I'm taking you home. <clears throat> Took 25 years before that lady came back to the place where she surrendered her life to Christ at Haddon Church of Christ. She's a sweet lady. She's a beautiful lady. and She's a faithful lady. I know she'll be praying for you lot today because you had to put up with me. <clears throat> is that a is that a shame and an embarrassment? And 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 um, she said, my mum and dad told me over and over again, you're okay. You know, we are a religious family. You're okay. That's these people. We are morally superior to the gutter rats in St Kilda. No, you're not. You're absolutely not. And and her family wasn't either. Thank God for this forbearance, for this perseverance to bring her to Christ. She's a thankful Christian, wonderfully thankful Christian. So in the second section, have you ordered the pizzas yet, Josh? In the second section, he says, but after the hardness of your, and, and impenitence of your heart, you treasure up to yourself wrath. You, you refuse to come to God, and, and the more you, the longer you live, the greater the degree of wrath that you are building up to yourself. This word wrath is a, uh, is a, a tough word. <clears throat> it means, unrestrained anger and indignation. God is indignant about your sin because he created you and he created you to live righteously. And you choose, we choose, and humanity chooses to live unrighteously. And God is indignant about that. And if I was God, I would be too. And so we see, he says, who will render unto every man according to his deeds? God will judge you. God will, God's judgment will be according to, to his truth and it will be according to your deeds. Now, friends, I'm going to just depart a little bit here just to, to, to try to illustrate this truth. <clears throat> Given that uh, an exegesis of 29 verses is not possible in one sermon, um, I do want you to get this, catch this truth. <clears throat> Jesus conducted his ministry and he, condu- and, he, and he did messianic miracles one after the other and at the very beginning of his ministry the very beginning remember the Holy Spirit came after his baptism and dwelt on him and a voice from heaven that's the witness of the Father that's the witness of Yahweh and the Jews rejected it <clears throat> and then Jesus did miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And one of the miracles that he did was he cast out a deaf and dumb spirit, a spirit that had a, a spirit that had, had, had uh, disabled a person from speaking or hearing. And he cast this demon out. And according to rabbinical law, only the Messiah could do that. 
And he did that in full view of the public and of the Jewish leadership. And you know what they did? Listen to what they did. They turned around and they said, you cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub. They accused him of casting out demons by being possessed by Satan himself. And and he turned around and he said, every sin that a man commits can be forgiven except that one. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, don't get uncomfortable because you can't do it. Okay, only Israel could do this. <clears throat> only the leadership of Israel could do this because Christ had to be there in the flesh. He had to have done a messianic miracle and they had to ascribe it to the power of Satan. And that's exactly what they did. And I want to tell you exactly what happened. At that point, you'll find the account of this in in, in, uh, Matthew chapter 12. And at that point, something dramatic happened in 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 the ministry of Christ. He no longer offered the kingdom to Israel. He turned his back on offering the kingdom to Israel and he spoke only in parables. Check it out for yourself. From from chapter 12 of Matthew, from that incident, he turned his back and he spoke only in parables from that point forward and he frustrated the, 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 the disciples to no end. And they said, Lord, please, can't you just speak plainly? And he said, no. Because hearing, they will hear. And seeing, they will see. And their penalty, listen very carefully friends, according to their deeds, Paul said, their penalty, their punishment in hell will be so much greater because of the exposure to greater truth. And he withheld the truth because he had been rejected as his offer of the kingdom had been rejected. And Paul comes along in Romans 2 and he says, God's judgment will be according to your deeds. The greater the light, the greater the exposure to truth, the worse will be your punishment in hell. You say, Brother Neil, that's harsh. It is. But I didn't write it. There's so very much more in this passage, but I want to come uh, to the to one item <clears throat> from the balance of the chapter. If you look down with me into verse 16, you'll see, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God's judgment is according to truth. It's according to your deeds. And it's according to the gospel of Christ. He says, Behold, behold, thou art called a Jew, and you rest, you settle on the law, and you make your boast of God. I was born a Jew, and I'm circumcised to prove it. 
and it proves absolutely nothing because Paul now takes this whole um, uh, circumcision issue and he takes the whole thing about being about resting in the fact that I am from father Abraham he takes all of that and he bundles this up and he says to these people that you know the will and you approve the things more excellent being instructed out of the law you've had such amazing privilege he says in verse 19 and you are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind a light and them that are in darkness he says an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law and and when Paul wrote to Timothy he said these people have a form of godliness but they deny deny the very power of it they deny the very power of it today my friends all over Melbourne all over all over the Australia all over the world there will be religious services going on empty ritual being repeated over and over and rolling around and back and forth and rolled up and thrown out and people will come along and they will sit there they won't hear one thing about sin and they won't hear a single thing about salvation but what they're going to hear is a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo and, and rumbling around and, 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 and repeating ritual <clears throat> and that has a form of godliness but it denies the very power of it the power of it is the indwelling Holy Spirit drawing people to an acknowledgement of their sin and a surrender to Jesus Christ it's that simple it's that flat out simple <clears throat> on Wednesday I went out to uh, one of our people's homes a family with seven children Indian folks I went out to their home and I sat there and was having a, bit, a pastoral visit with them and the mother said Pastor Neil um, three of my children uh, want to surrender their life to Jesus today oh it's a beautiful place to be it's like a God bubble and I sat there I said bring them out of here <laughs> and one by one they came and I said to them Graham do you know what sin is and they said yes I do this is what sin is do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners yes I do do you believe you're a sinner yes I am would you like to pray and ask Jesus to save you and one by one we've now got four baptisms to do I I don't do them I'm not getting in that tank (laughs) it's cold in Ballarat (laughs) we've got an associate pastor that does the baptising and they surrendered their life to Jesus Christ you know what was staggering to me friends those kids in the course of talking to those children were able to were able to reiterate to me things I had preached about over the last month they sat there and they took it all in and they became convicted in their hearts I need to trust Jesus as my saviour you say oh little kids like that listen you be very careful Jesus said suffer the little children to 
come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Every time God saves a child, he saves a person. Every time God saves an adult, he saves half a person. <clears throat> half their life's gone. It's been wasted on frivol- frivolous, frivolously on sin. That's crazy. Here in, in, in this chapter of Romans, right at the end of this second chapter, Paul says, if your circumcision doesn't relate to a transforming experience inside you, it has no meaning. <clears throat> the uncircumcised, if they have that transforming experience, have experienced a circumcision of the heart. Amen. That's that wearing of Jesus in your heart. It's the, it's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit uh, just, just, just flowing out through you, which is exactly what he said he would do. Amen. What a, what a joy to know that we have been, we have been declared sinners. Every last one of us has been declared sinners from the highest, highest, highest in society to the dregs. It doesn't make any difference. And yet God has made a way out. God has made a plan for defeating sin in your life. I want to just close with this. I don't want to close. I want to keep going until six o'clock, but I'm going to have to close. Josh has given me the wink. I want to close with this. There was a bloke who was a tax collector and his name was Zacchaeus. Don't think of this as a Sunday school story. This is a very serious story. And and this little buzzard worked for Rome. He collected taxes. He ripped people off. He was the dregs of the dregs. And you know what's made was worse? He was a little bloke. He was a pitiful little horrible thing. And nobody liked him. In Jericho, they hated him. And he heard about Jesus. And he wanted to see him. Catch this, he wanted to see him. And he, and he ran through the crowd. I'm sure there's a couple of people giving him one as he went through the crowd. I would have, he's collecting those taxes. And he climbed up a sycamore tree. And Jesus came along and he looked up and he said, Hey, get down right now. He says, For I'm coming to your house. Read your Bible. See what it says. It says he got down immediately and it said he received him with joy. Amen. He received him with joy. It's a glorious thing when a sinner comes to Christ. When a sinner turns their back on that and they receive the beauty of Christ and their transforming experience in their life is a reason for joy. He was the dregs of the dregs of the dregs of of, of, uh, Israeli society. In just a little bit, in another chapter, in John, another fella came sneaking quietly to Jesus. Looking around him. His name was Nicodemus. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was the, the upper, upper, upper. He was the teacher of the teachers. And he comes with a sickening compliment to Christ and Jesus turned on him and said you must be born again you imagine that he looked into the blazing eyes of, of the saviour of the messiah and he said I'm not interested in your compliment 
It means nothing to me. He looked into his face and he said, you must be born again. And this poor fellow said, what? <clears throat> I'm confused. Can I re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, what, are you a teacher of Israel? You don't even know that. Now, we don't have evidence that that fellow trusted Christ, not in that passage. But we do have evidence later when, they collect, when Joseph of Arimathea came and collected the body of Christ publicly and openly. Who helped him? Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to that transforming power of Jesus. Friends, this passage, if it tells, this, this whole passage in Romans 2, if it tells us nothing else, it condemns us to the penalty of sin and it offers us a way out. And that way out is one way and only one way. And that way is to admit is to confess to Jesus. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> I don't need convincing. I mean, you know, I, I'm like that border collie, you know. Um, I do stuff. And, uh, and this passage tells me that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus, that you were the sacrifice, that you were the price that God demanded that I could be set free. Mate, when the Saviour sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen.